Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. This is the Kudzu Radio Hour number 148, recorded on Saturday, April 10th, 2021. I'm your host, Michael Buffalo Smith of Kudzu Magazine, etc., etc. But I really can't say that I'm the host anymore. It's kind of like there are four, count them, four of us. And we'll have those guys uh, joining us very soon. Today, we're going to talk about great record producers and, um, you know, producers in there and maybe their definitive album that they produced, which can be quite a challenge um, for producers who did a whole bunch of great stuff, right? But it'll be fun. It's always fun. The Kudzu Radio Hour is brought to you in living color or in technicolor. It depends on how you, you know, what era you're talking about. 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. <laughs> brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Springer Mountain Farms has fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information or order online at springermountain.com. Springermtn.com. Not only is Springer Mountain chicken healthier for you, but it also tastes superior. It really, really does. That's the name to remember, Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. When you go to your market, look for Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. The program is also brought to you, as always, by that little old band from Los Angeles called the Box Masters. And the guys have a really great hot new album out called Light Rays. They didn't get the tour when, uh, for the album this past um, summer because of COVID, but hopefully that's all going to change. Uh, it's looking pretty positive. I, I am hoping, 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 because I'm ready to get back and see some more Boxmasters action. How about you? You can buy light rays on CD, vinyl, or download. You can buy other Boxmasters albums. You can buy uh, swag, t-shirts, uh, bumper stickers, uh, ashtrays, shot glasses, all of life's essentials with Boxmaster brand on it. All this and much more at theboxmasters.com. Get over there, man. What you waiting on? Theboxmasters.com. And also follow the band on social media, uh, including uh, Facebook, etc., and um, Instagram. Uh, you, you really need to subscribe to the, their channel on uh, Instagram because JD Andrew does an outstanding job of updating every single day. There's just classic pictures of uh billy bob and 
and and the boss masters from the past and uh it's all cool man go to the boss masters dot com we're hard at work on another issue of kudzu magazine uh but it's gonna be uh, you know another month or whatever because it usually comes out four times a year issue number 41 is still kind of uh i can't say it's hot off the presses but it's lukewarm <laughs> go check out kudzu please 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 cover story on Freddie Salem of the outlaws. And, uh, we've got all sorts of features in the current issue, uh, and including lots and lots of CD reviews, book reviews, DVD, DVD reviews, and much more columns, exclusive columns that we have, um, from some really good writers and, uh, all this and much more. Just go to kudzumag.com. K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag.com. Also, while you're out there surfing the, quote, web <laughs> or internet, whatever you want to call that thing, uh, check out, go to YouTube, check out the Ambassador of Southern Rock channel. Uh, we've got more and more features posted including uh one-on-one -on -one interviews with jason ringenberg uh a great americana artist and uh the leader of the hot band from the 80s and 90s called uh, jason and the scorchers a great 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 interview with our buddy chuck lavelle uh former member of the almond brothers and a long time and current uh, touring band member with a band you may have heard of called the Rolling Stones and a great interview with Freddie Salem from the Outlaws plus we've got lots and lots of stuff like the uh, best Southern Rock albums the best Southern Rock singers the best Southern Rock guitar players all that and much more and it's all what free my favorite prize ambassador of southern rock channel and please subscribe to the channel be among the first to know anytime things are posted if you want to write to us about the magazine the podcast the youtube channel or the prize of tea in china uh which i have no earthly idea um <laughs> Just uh, write to us at kudzumag at yahoo.com. K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag at yahoo.com. So we're going to kick it off with a little bit of music. This is from a, um, this is from a high-end bootleg. Uh, now, let me say that when I got a hold of this, I didn't have any idea that it was actually a bootleg, but I read about it. It's called Fully Finished Studio Outtakes. It's the Rolling Stones, and it's a career-spanning three-disc set with tons of stuff that's never seen the light of day. There's some really awesome material on there, and it's good. 
Well, the record companies in both England and the United States are up in arms about it. They don't, they can't figure out how all that stuff got packaged and leaked, but it did. <laughs> and uh, it's all over the place now. So it's like, you know, maybe we can see a proper uh, packaging of it. it. It deserves it. The song we're going to play, it goes back to 1975. It's called Scarlet. So this is, of course, the one and only Rolling Stones and Scarlet on the Kudzu Radio Hour. We'll be right back after this song with the whole hee-haw gang. Yeah, man.
I can think of no better way to kick off the Kudzu Radio Hour than with them there, Rolling Stones. That's from something called Fully Finished Studio Outtakes, uh, a three-CD set that spans their career from the 60s <laughs> until recent days with some amazing stuff that's never been heard. I've been reading a lot about it online, and there's some real, I mean, hardcore Stones fans that are just freaking out because they didn't even know about some of this stuff. In fact, there was a mythology attached to it. It was like, that might not be true after all. Um, please welcome two of my three co-hosts. The other one will show up later when he gets through goofing off all the way from Massachusetts. What a name. What up, man. Yeah. Hey, Buff. How are y'all? How you Ooh, doing? Yeah, Billy Eli. <laughs> Eli. Like Billy, in the Billy, Bible. Billy. Like, in, like in the Bible. What are you drinking, Not, Pat? What are you drinking, Pat? I'm having a Carbock Rodeo Clown. Nice, man. I'm having a Ford Hills Fresh Pick IPA. It's a good day to be drinking beer. <laughs> I've got a rock. Buff, buff, uh, buff, are you are you having a Coors Light? Buff? I've got, I've got, I, I got a rock. <laughs> the uh, okay, yeah, and I was gonna say, uh, Billy Eli. Uh, we we know now that his name is not like Joe Ely. It's right. not Billy Ely. It's not. I'm not related to anybody Eli. that can help me out at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. So anyway, and like I said, Jim's got some uh, his meetings running over, and you know he does. He he's one of these people who actually has a a real job. What I what he told what he told me was he was being detained by the federales at the Westlaco border crossing. <laughs> that but, uh, sounds that sounds more like him. Well, you know, all the I mean, cause, cause that mild mannered shit's a ruse, man. He's in trouble. <laughs> He's a troublemaker to the bone. <laughs> yeah, you can tell by looking at him. And I think his hair, the longer his hair gets, the more trouble he is. And yeah. I think, I really think that he's going to re pierce that ear and then all hell's going to break loose. He, he might. Yeah, he might do that. <laughs> it could be. Uh, we're going to do a high fidelity thing here. Okay. What do you uh, got? Since there's only uh, three of us, we're going to do low fidelity. Oh yeah, okay. and by by the way, I'm Patrick Beach. I'll go ahead and introduce myself. Oh, yeah. hey, no, hey, Beach, <laughs> let me hey Beach, let, let me introduce you. Hey, from Austin, Texas, our good friend Patrick Beach. Who, I would tell y'all, I would tell y'all what he does, except I'm not really sure. And let me just say, if y'all are out there going, oh, that's terrible. He's he's a good friend of yours, and you don't know what he does. I don't fucking think he knows what he does. <laughs> I think it's kind of on a day by day need to know kind of basis, man. Yeah. It's a, it's Absolutely. It's Absolutely. And that's uh, for anybody who's <laughs> pondered the question are there beaches in Austin, Texas? There oh, are. Uh, there are. Oh. Yes. There All are. right, man. There are. Um, that's the singer. All right, man. What's our Here's the theme song High Fidelity. What I want y'all to do is I want you to name three because there's only three of us. Three, the three greatest rhythm guitar players you can think of. Billy. Oh, uh, 
rhythm. Yeah, I, yeah, man. And, no, and I, and um, the thing is, is my you know I, I'll automatically think of like the real famous ones, man. Uh, John Lennon was was a phenomenally good rhythm guitar uh, rhythm guitarist. Keith Richards is essentially a rhythm guitarist. So there's two. Uh, Tom Petty was good. Uh, McGuinn was good. Those are all big name bands. If I had a couple minutes, I'd think of somebody that's probably a, a little more indie that maybe our audience wouldn't know as well. But uh, <laughs> and that's the point. Well, I mean, you know, I, that's what I always say to anybody, man. That's indie, and you're you're getting asked about what influences you, man. I try to avoid. Well, you know, the Stones. Yeah, everybody, anybody with ears knows that. You know, I mean, so so talk about the stuff that that influenced you that not everybody knows. So, you know, and that's one of the things I really like about having uh, expanded the panel to include Patrick and Jim is good God, man. Y'all know more damn bands that nobody but y'all have ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, and it's great. I mean, it, it expands everybody's horizon, you know? It's, and I got, you know, I, I got, man, I, I get tired of talking about Southern rock. I, I mean, you know, well, or, or, not even that, but I mean, just again, like just now, if I had a, if I had a few minutes, I'd think of something else. What I came up with was what Tom Petty, Keith Richards and, and, uh, and John Lennon, man. But I mean, I don't know. There's, there's, if, uh, I'd have to look it up. Who was the guy that played uh, the rhythm guitar player for, uh, uh damn the sidewinders man uh that arizona band oh yeah and, and that's right you know i mean and those guys i mean they were essentially a rhythm section but i don't know his name but that's the kind of thing that you know I, i'd rather get out there than just oh well yeah keith richards yeah done no shit yeah you know? well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... yeah yeah all right patrick the distinction between rhythm and lead guitar is stupid. It, it is, yeah, man. It really is. I mean, I'm in our band, said that too. <laughs> in our in our band, both of us take licks. We know how to play A chords, and we know how to take licks. It's just dumb. So, a rhythm guitarist, I guess, the only functional definition would be a guitar player who never takes licks. And there's one who stands above all the others and it's the only one i'm going to name the late great malcolm young oh yeah oh, no, yeah man. right right boy yeah. he was good he was just titanic happy to stand back there back to the stack that was taller than him and yep. and let his let his brother take the licks but man what a talent Man. That reminded me of another one I, that's still a hugely popular band, but uh, Pete Helm from Badfinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. De dedicated, dedicated uh, rhythm, rhythm stuff. Yep. Well, yep. so you're just gonna you're just gonna throw all yours in on that one. I'm I'm gonna leave it there. Okay, well, <laughs> that's good because I got an extra one. Yeah, the uh, the the uh, rhythm players. Uh, in no particular order, um, I'm going to have to say my buddy, George McCorkle from, I was going to say, man, I started to put him on my list. That man. sucker, man. Great, he, he, great uh, rhythm player, man. Great rhythm player. Oh, he was, he would chunk that and he wasn't, I mean, he'd play lead once in a while, but he, he laid the groove, man. I mean, him and 
him and Tommy, Tommy and Caldwell Paul Riddle, put that yeah. damn groove down. Right. Yeah, they, they were the basis for Toy to show off and for Doug. But yeah, and that, you know, that's uh that's the extent of my southern rock contribution on the thing. I also hadn't put Tom Petty down because he's Tom Petty. Because again, man, groove stuff, man. Yeah, wonderful. Another one that I I had on my list was Michael Bruce from the original Alice Cooper. Yeah. And when they were doing all that, you know, under my wheels and and the thing about Bruce is I just got through reading a book about them, you know, and he wrote like the biggest part of the instrumental parts of the songs. Alice wrote the words, but he wrote all the music, which, you know, is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, but my number one of all has to be a guy with the weirdest name in the world called The Edge. Because The and, Edge. And again, like Patrick said, man, putting a distinction between leading and rhythm, and especially on a guy like that, what a total, complete waste of fucking time. Especially in a band with only one guitar player. Well, what are, it, what are you? I'm the guitar player. Right. I mean, yeah. right. And, yeah. and, and he plays mostly rhythm stuff. But, man. Mostly. When I, when I, watched, when I watched that, uh, this might get loud, that documentary. Oh, yeah. You, you, I just you watched that recently. I, I could not believe what a phenomenally good lead player that i mean you know yeah i saw him say lead player but i mean man he could solo and his looks are great and his technique is good and um yeah anyway yeah you don't you don't think of the edge like you think of ingway momsteam or something like that but he no, can play but, but he can play like yeah. yeah i just wonder if he's if he's uh pissed off at his mom for naming him the edge no i'm just, I'm just kidding <laughs> hey let's call him the edge what a great name. Yeah, First name, was, the second name, Edge. I was just reminded this morning that George Foreman had three sons. Probably still George. does have to. They're and all named George. George because George. George is such an awesome name. <laughs> I, want, I once was in a band with a guy, and this was when I was in my early 20s, and he was about 60. His name was Clarence, and he had three sons, and all of them were named Clarence. Wow, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Anyway. What about recommendations? Recommendations. I'm going to do mine and then make a mad dash and then come back. Cool. Uh, I, I, make yours and then I have a recommendation. Yeah, this will be a quick This will be a quick one. I talked about it last night on uh, the Happy Go Lucky Hour. A uh, new album from Billy Gibbons called Hardware, and uh, it's coming out June 4th. His third solo album, the first single, West Coast Junkie. And the video for the song was recorded at Joshua Tree, uh, which was a place that I, I passed through many times as a kid. My family would go out every two or three years out to San Jose, California, to see my dad's relatives. And we'd always go through Joshua Tree. So, you know, all that, blah, 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 blah. Plus, as you know, it figures into one of my real heroes' life story or death story, uh, Graham Parsons. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there, but it kind of is in a way. Uh, um, the hardware, almost all the songs, well, you know, 99% of them are original Billy Gibbons songs. And they're all really rocking. I mean, this is good. 
it's like getting a new ZZ Top album almost. Although, I mean, I really prefer, of course, I prefer Dusty and, and uh, Frank and them all together. I always do. But there's one song on there uh, that he recorded one cover, and that was uh, Texas Tornado's song, Hey Baby, Que Pasa. <laughs> uh, that was your only Vato. Yeah, what a great song. And, and I love and I love his pronunciation. It's not K Pasa, it's K Pasa. K Pasa. K Pasa. Stacking yeah. Bones is a great one and uh features uh guest stars that he became friends with the girls uh Larkin Poe. And he became Billy became friends with them and he's been taking them out to open his shows which is a pretty good gig for them, but they're, they're kind of on top of the world anyway. Uh, so anyway, Billy had said in the press release that uh, during the COVID shutdown, uh, he said to, to, to let off steam, they just got in the studio and quote, let it rock. <laughs> that sounds like the Reverend, doesn't it? So what I understand, I've got to commiserate with Patrick. Billy told me I had to commiserate with you because I'm going to be interviewing Billy next week. Oh, oh yeah. My, he's a, my, he's, my point, he's a great interview. Everything that I've ever read about him. Yeah. And he, he, he is credited as a great interview, but he's a weird interview. Man. Uh, every, every, so. everything that I've ever read from any rock journalist that ever interviewed him and Rolling Stone spin any of that stuff. And they, and they always say, man, it's just an odd, like out of body experience. It's oh, because he's, he's such, he's like an auto dictator or something. He knows a lot about approximately everything. Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, he yeah, knows about forward to it. He knows about cars and motorcycles and guitars and Renaissance art and opera. And right. <laughs> right. I've run across so many people in my it, life that it's that, as if he has a very good memory. Yeah. yeah. Hey, wait a minute. So do you, but they, yeah. uh, they, they, <laughs> I've run across so many people that, uh, that have taught him or knew him or whatever. And they all said the same thing. They said he, uh, I think that the quote was, has a mind like a steel trap. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way I look at, uh, I don't want to blow wind up his skirt, but it's kind of the way I look at Billy too. Well, he's got a, just, he's got a pornographic you, memory. Well, yeah, when you got a pornographic memory, <laughs> you just remember almost every fucking thing you've ever heard or read. Yeah. It, it doesn't have anything to do with knowing anything. <laughs> Well, you guys go ahead and uh, All right. uh, do your recommendations. I have a recommendation, uh, and mine is about beer. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, Think hey, I'll have Bubba, another. While, uh, while Buff's gone, man, uh, Pat, let's talk about beer. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, so uh, yeah, I'm drinking this Fort Hills, uh, and it's IPA, and as you know, I'm, I'm – I historically have not been a big fan of IPAs. This one is uh it's a little bit it's a little bit lighter than than a lot of them, you know. Uh it it is kind of hazy. I'm still unclear as to what that haze is. It has something to do with it simply means it's not filtered. Right. It, yeah. Uh and 
I don't know, man. It's got just enough of that kind of citrusy taste that it's mm-hmm. good without being too. It's not like it's not like sucking a grapefruit, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, that sounds really good. Of course, we can't is, get that here. No, but you're gonna be you'll be coming up at some point. I mean, you, you sure. still have a whole Boston connection, right? Well, yeah, but my kid graduated. <laughs> he graduated almost a yeah, year ago. Yeah, didn't want him moving back there just to live or something. He moved back for like a month around Christmas time, or maybe uh, it was Thanksgiving, and it didn't work out. It was not the situation he was looking for, so that didn't work out. But yeah, I, 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 I've never been around uh, Greater Mass that much. I've only really been to Boston and the Vineyard. So yeah, I'll come see you. Yeah, man, I, I think you'd like it. A lot of breweries, and uh, they're all in walking distance of my house. Awesome. Yeah, you and, know, sc- I- and scary. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the face back way back machine is always kicking out memories. And this week, I guess it was six or seven years ago, I was in Portland to see the replacements. And my first three hours in Portland, I was at three breweries. It's like, I have to move to Portland. That's all right. there is to it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah. And you should have done that before uh, Rick Dugman left. That's and right. To Chicago. Okay. So, uh, what's your favorite all time replacement song? Oh. Mine is Little Mascara. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. It is, man. It's it's got it's. I mean, lyrically, it's good. It's a great story. It's pumping rock tune. Uh, it, it's you know, sort of equal. It's sort of equal parts musical genius and garage band. Uh, All right, yeah. gun to gun to my head, left of the dial. That's a good one. Man. Um, <laughs> yeah. It totally rocks. It's about college radio and missing somebody. And uh, it may or may not be about one of the women who is in Let's Active with, with Mitch Easter. But, uh, God, that song just kills. That song just kills. Oh, I got to get to my recommendation. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, one day, again, recommending a book. But with this uh, nine or ten week old puppy around the house, I don't have a lot of time for sustained right. reading. Right. So. Yeah. You're a new parent. <laughs> spent, that's right. That's right. But we uh, we spent a few nights this week watching the uh, six-hour over three evenings uh, PBS series on Hemingway by Ken Burns. And, oh, what's the other filmmaker? Her name escapes me. I apologize to whatever your name is, madam. But anyway, it's classic Ken Burns. <clears throat> My uh, college J school advisor grew up in Kansas city, worked at the Kansas city star and his father had been editor of the Kansas city star. And as you may or may not know, Ernest Hemingway spent about 15 minutes working as a reporter at the Kansas city star. I did actually know that. Yes. And uh, before, before uh, going off to the war as a red cross medic and then going to work for the Toronto star. So in college, I read a whole lot of Ernest Hemingway and I, uh, uh, sort of studied at the knee of my advisor who just worshiped Hemingway. And I read several Hemingway biographies, so I didn't learn a lot, but it's exceptionally well done. And it's really interesting to think about Hemingway, this man's man, you know, the great white hunter, the boxer, the the, the bullfighter and all deep sea fisherman through the prism of the uh, the Me Too movement that we're still now in. And, <laughs> and of course, you know, because he wouldn't have gotten away with a lot of what he... Well, 
he actually didn't get away with some things he was trying to get away with. Like one right. of his one of his earliest stories, even before he published The Sun Also Arises, is basically about date rape on a boat dock. It's called Up in Michigan. And I remember reading it in college. like, can he say this? I mean, he's basically like forcing himself on a woman. And he was also into, uh, from a very young age, his, his, his mother dressed him and his siblings in like androgynous clothing. And that led to sort of like a lifelong fascination with gender fluidity. If you notice, uh, a couple of his wives had quite short hair, and sometimes he had quite long hair because he was <laughs> sort of interested in who was a boy and who was a girl. But no, he was the big, tough, right. you know, bullfighting, uh, right. pugilistic, right, earnest right. Hemingway. Right. I again, because I'm kind of a Hemingway freak, and I went through definitely a phase in college. Uh, I didn't learn a whole lot, but I certainly enjoyed it. And my my sons who haven't read a word of Hemingway learned quite a lot and they liked it. So it's Hemingway on PBX PBS. You can pull it up on the app. That is my recommendation. Mine is a Netflix movie that, uh, them, man, I should have probably just left this out because I'm not going to remember a lot of the details. It's a fictionalized account of a real riding club in North Philadelphia, the Fletcher street, Riding club, urban riding club, and it's, oh, wow. it's an African American saddle club and African American cowboys. and And the the name of the uh the name of the film is is uh called Concrete Cowboys. And I tell you, it, it, it's a it was interesting to watch. And, and uh, I'm blanking on the uh. I'm blanking on the actor's name. Uh, hang on. I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, my only issue with it, uh, it was really well acted. It, it, uh, it was a little bit predictable. It was kind of, they kind of followed the formula, all African-American urban movies. You know, there's the tragic death by drive-by and all that but uh but some of the story was was pretty good uh it I, i'm not sure how you pronounce his name so uh i i i just i just elba he, I, i'm not sure idris, idris, idris elba yeah he's a, he's the lead and he's great man and you know they're all they're, they're urban setting man i mean even the ones that are on the straight and there and now uh, you know fucked up when they were when they were younger and and now they're they take care of these horses and and you know and that's kind of the central thing of their lives and and the thrust of the story is uh his character harp has a son named cole that he hadn't seen since cole was like you know a, an infant and uh, Cole's mother took him to live in Detroit. Now Cole is 15 and getting in a lot of trouble. And she sends him to live with his father. So, I mean, it's, it, again, it's, it's kind of, it, it's a little, you know, formula heavy, but, it, but the acting is still good and the performances are good. And uh, a lot of the extras in it are actual members of the Fletcher street uh, uh, riding club. So, yeah, you know, it, it Hour and a half. It's on Netflix. 
you know, not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's not bad. And I have to watch that. I just came across that this morning. I hadn't heard a thing about it. But of course, Idris Elba broke out on The Wire. And that <laughs> right. Guy, that guy is so good looking. You couldn't even you couldn't even understand what he was saying because you can't stop looking at him and your ears start. I mean, he's, he's incredibly well, and, good looking. And the, the performances, and I'll tell you straight up, man, the the, the script, yeah, it's it's okay. It's not, yeah. not great, but it's okay. Story, yeah. it's okay. Not yeah. great. But the performances, the performances are stellar. And that's the entire cast. The whole Excellent. damn thing. And and you know, man, good performers can carry weak material. Man. That's yeah. true. That's yeah, true. That's, true. And, and, that's true. And he is such a good actor. Yeah, he is. He really is. He, he was put, just... what do you see him playing? <clears throat> what do you see him play an urban African American cowboy? Because it because he's British, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um I read I was such a fan of The Wire that uh, I bought this oral history of the, the making of The Wire. And and the guy who plays Jimmy McNulty was British, too. And so you have these two Brits. One of them is playing a, a gang leader and the other is playing an Irish-American cop. And they would always be saying to each other between takes, OK, don't break if you break and start talking like you normally right, would right. i'm gonna, I'm gonna be right, right behind you i'm gonna be right yeah. behind you yeah yeah right because you got two brits trying to play a baltimore <laughs> cop and a baltimore gangbanger <laughs> uh, well they uh you you, uh, you mentioned concrete cowboys i i just read um i get a uh newsletter from netflix it mm-hmm. says what's hot you know Oh, and it came in last night and they had, they were talking about the concrete cowboys and, and a couple again, of other movies. And again, I can't, uh, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I can't recommend it on the merits of its script scripts. Pretty typical. Boilerplate. But, right. But God damn, the performances are good. I mean, man, the performances are just off the chart. Good. And, well, that, uh, that's what I like. I like as, as somebody who studied theater and, and acting, that's what I, sh- I go for. I mean, I love the scripts as a writer, but I, I love to see an actor's movie. It's like, you know, where the acting is just so good. I, I would, you know? I would say this about the, the movie that they're trying to make that, I mean, that they were, that they were making in the subject matter that they were uh, dealing with. And really, man, any subject matter, if you're going to get on it and take a microscopic, uh, dialed in view of uh, any particular like subculture, you're going to get the same damn story over and over and over again. It would be the same no matter what group you're looking at. Now, that's about uh, Philadelphia, uh, you know, inner city African American community. And yeah, it, the, the part about the, you know, the, so many of them getting killed in drug related activity, gang related activity. There's a reason that they write about that because it happens a lot. And, you know, so so in that respect, it's, it's not just like, oh, well, it's just old hat stuff. I mean, it feels real, but I mean, there's not, there's not anything in there that that's real, uh, you know, that, that you're going to, that's going to plot twist you, or you're going to go, oh, wow. I didn't see that coming. No, you're going to see all of it coming from a mile off, but the, uh, but the performances are still just, amazing well all right all right that sounds good the uh well let's play a song and then come back and do the uh 
Talk about producers. Um, and I need to go first because I'm going to have to cut out pretty soon. Well, I got, today's my Griffey day. Yes, I understand. Uh, all right, I'm going to grab a beer while you play that song. All right, well, all right. I'm uh, going to play one by the uh, Almond Brothers Band from their second album, Idle Wild South. And uh, I love this song. It's called Please Call Home. And we'll be right back with more on the Kudzu Radio Hour right after this.
And just like that, we're back. That's the uh, Almond Brothers Band from the album Idlewild South. And the song is called Please Call Home. And I see Jim is in the uh, waiting room. So pardon me, folks, while I admit this young man. <clears throat> That's good timing, uh, I might add. Uh, there he is. Hey, Border Patrol let you go? <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, he's getting set up. Fuck you, what? There you are. Boom, here I am. Hey, look, man. Not you, I was talking about Jim. Out of hell with him, I'm back. (laughs) Yeah, that's all that matters. Yeah, okay. We're going to talk about, Uh, you you got in just in time, Jim, because we're going to do producers. We're just, uh, our our audience. Our audience can't see Jim. He's dressed kind of formally like he, he's been in court or something like that. You had some kind of meeting. Now, here's my question to you. You're wearing you're wearing a jacket and like a shirt, and it looks like you had a town. Are you wearing pants? <laughs> <laughs> what? I had a ponytail in too. Are you, yeah, are you wearing ponytail, yeah? Are, are you are you wearing pants? <laughs> no. I did not have a tie on. This was turn your volume up, Jim. How's this? Yeah, nah, there you go. Now nah, turn it back down. Turn it uh, off. This is this this was this was <laughs> actually for a, for a nonprofit organization. So, so you was, didn't feel like you didn't feel obligated to wear pants. No, no it was for the good for good for the good of the community. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. As far uh, as y'all know. Okay, uh, we're doing producers. Yeah, yeah, we sure are. So. Okay. Uh, I want to go first. Hang oh on. yeah, uh, that's right. You said you did. And, and I had a and I had a list. And now, uh, when I was having that issue with my computer earlier, it slammed shut, and so it's gone. I'm gonna try to do it from memory. Just make in it no, up. In no particular order. Uh, uh, my first and I and the thing was uh uh, it was producers and and kind of landmark either sounds or albums or something that they did. Uh, I started with Les Paul and no particular recording, but he developed the, what do you call it? Sound on sound, which was multi-tracking. And, and he was the first engineer uh, to, you know, kind of bring that to a uh, you know, sort of modern popular music. I started to list Buddy Holly because Buddy Holly had, Sort of studied the stuff that uh, that Les Paul did, but I'm not sure exactly how mu- much control Buddy Holly had over his actual releases that that got, you know, that that uh, made it into into production. So uh, I just went with I just stuck with Les Paul. No particular album, just kind of that that period in the in the late '40s and the in the early '50s when he was uh, pioneering multi-track i went next uh and this is the only country-esque guy on my list um chet atkins and i he was kind of instrumental with a couple other uh vocalists you know uh uh, guys like jim reeves and developing what they call the nashville sound but that was not that was not why he made my list. He made my list for his work with uh, uh, the Everly Brothers. 
and he did all those early singles of theirs. I don't even know if they did albums then, but but the, all those early hits of the Everly Brothers, that was that was Chet Atkins and that sort of stripped down kind of popsy rockabilly, little more pop, little less country, although certainly there's country elements in it that are that are impossible to miss. And he worked with Elvis on a couple of things, but I think he I think he as much as anybody sort of set the tone uh in the 50s for what was gonna happen in the following decade of the 60s of mixing uh country and rock and more than that the uh uh influence that he had on bands like the Beatles. I mean, who, who listed the Everly brothers as, and, and Buddy Holly as you know, major influences without those guys, there wouldn't have been the British invasion, you know? So, uh, that was my, he's my number four. And like I said, no particular order. My next one is, is two brothers and the John's brothers, Andy and Glenn. I'll go ahead and pick Glenn. He uh, didn't he he did Exile on Main Street, I think. Get your yaya's out. And the uh, he also worked with the Eagles, and I know that that's kiss to death, stake through the heart now. But uh, go and look at the albums that those two brothers produced. And then go and look at a timeline of the rise of album-oriented uh, FM radio, man. <laughs> and, and again, I don't know that there would have been album-oriented, you know, FM radio as as we knew it uh, without record producers like that. Just, you know, uh, the stuff that he the stuff that he produced are still. I mean, they're still staples of. of kind of held up as gold standard of of what what are great albums my fourth one or second one depending on which kind of way you're wanting to look at it is uh paul rothschild am i saying that right roth rothschild he produced the doors first what four albums four four or five albums but that first album that they did in was that 67, The Doors, that had uh, Break On Through and uh, The End and Light My Fire. And it, it, it kind of gets lost now. But go back and listen to any other record that was made that year and then put that record on and you'll see how different that was from anything else being done at the time. And Again, what he did there, kind of that sort of psychedelic blues, but it was it was a lot more controlled than the, the in in my opinion than the than the things like uh, Jefferson Airplane or, or the Dead. I mean, they were doing that stuff, but it was real. It was jam. Their stuff was more jam based, and it was noisier, and it was busier, and it had more stuff. And uh, uh, and that Doors record was pretty damn streamlined, man. I mean, it was it was not busy. It was it was it was very tightly focused, but it still got all those great sonic tones on it, and uh, you know, and 
it's hard for me if, if somebody even asked me what kind of music that is. I, I don't even know. It's kind of blues. It's kind of psychedelic. It's got an element of show tune in it. it it's, you know, that, that heavy keyboards, but damn fine guitar playing, you know. Um, so I, I think that I, I think that that album, The Doors, I think it kind of set the tone for for albums that were going to be made over the uh, over the next ten years. And uh, in my last one, uh, Ter uh, Terry Mesh. And he produced uh, the Battle of Easy Rider for the Birds, which, uh, you know, Sweetheart of the Rodeo gets credit for being the first country rock album. But I, I don't 100% agree with that. Uh, Battle of the Easy Rider got pretty close. And again, he did a great melding of, of folk and, and at, for that time, contemporary rock. And uh, that was sort of a pivotal album, you know, that, that again, influenced people for and musicians and producers and writers for, you know, the next 10 or 15 years. So that's my, that's, this is my five. Uh, nice. Anybody nice. got comments? Like it, like it, like it's a great it. List. Yeah. It's a great list. Did I get on anybody's feet? Did I pick anything that anybody else had picked? Just I'm one. good. Uh, just, what, just, just one for me. Which, which one? Glenn Johns. Yeah, I, I figured somebody here would pick one of them. That's why I picked Bob. And Andy, man, Andy worked on some great stuff, he too. Did. He did. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Anyway. Oh. All right, cool. Let's let Jim go next. Sure. Yeah, and then I – and yeah, because I want to stay here and pick at his list, and then I got to ring off. <laughs> sure. I mean, just just like I always do, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about what this category means to me first, and because you know, with apologies to Raymond Carver, what we talk about when we talk about <laughs> producers, uh, because there's a producer, there's an engineer, there's a mixer, and uh, while an engineer and a mixer are probably uh, discrete enough categories, a producer might do both engineer and mix and produce. Right. So engineers can have a, a wide variety of uh, roles, which could be just as, you know, just as making sure that the sonics are there, the band, the way the band wants them to uh, being involved in the mixing process and deciding what the final product uh, sounds like or even down to helping write songs or play. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And, and so there's a, there's a wide variety. And so my, my first, the first one I pick, and these are also in no particular order, but to uh, draw distinctions between those roles, my first pick uh, knowing how I love stripped down garagey sounding engineered records that don't have a lot of a gloss on them. This is going to be a surprise, but my first pick is Roy Thomas Baker. And the reason that I, and, and, and I have, and Roy Thomas Baker, people think of queen, but my two representative records that I want to name for Roy Thomas Baker are the first cars album and cheap tricks album one-on-one. -on -one. And the two, and, and I think about Roy Thomas Baker first, and I think about the cars and I think about the two producers, the cars work with Roy Thomas Baker and Mutt Lang. And to me, <laughs> Mutt, Mutt Lang is the kind of producer that goes too, way too far in making the records his own. Mutt Lang is almost like an artist who uses bands or his one-time wife, Shania Twain, to 
actually make his own records using them as the vehicle. They're they're an element of the, of the art he's creating. They're exactly. not the art. He, Mutt, yeah. Lang, Mutt Lang is the Alfred Hitchcock of producers. He, you know, except oh, except yeah. Alfred. Well except Alfred Hitchcock was a great director, and and I don't like Mutt Lang's production. But other than that, <laughs> oh yes. come on, Back in Black. Well, Back in Black is an exception. Um, Mutt Lang, I will say that Mutt Lang's productions sound great in strip clubs. <laughs> because if you want, you want to hear pour some sugar on me in a strip club, that's that. I, I actually I actually do want to hear that. The, the, or, it's been a long time since I've heard that. Or you shook me all night long for, 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 for that. In, in, a, for in, that a strip in a strip club. Yeah. But but that that snare drum, which is actually about five different things recorded on top of each other, including white noise and Simmons electronic drum toms are in his snare. It's just way over the top. Um, but to me, Roy Thomas Baker does what a great producer should, which is helps a band realize its vision through Sonics. And I think that's what he did with the car's first album. I think that's what he did with uh, uh, cheap tricks. Next, not next position, please. One-on-one. Uh, -on -one. In contrast to Next Position, Please, the next Cheap Trick record that was produced by Todd Rundgren that sounds like a Todd Rundgren production, Todd Rundgren, who's not on my list. Um, so Roy Thomas Baker is glossy, but I think he's glossy to the extent bands want him to be glossy. And so I think he is the kind of guy that, and he sounds like a really cool dude too. So uh, he's the kind of glossy producer that I think does the right thing, which is helping a band realize its vision through Sonics. Speaking of which, my next person on the list, talking talk about wanting to help an artist realize its vision through Sonics, because there is no Sonic signature of this guy. This guy is so varied that I had to pick at least four albums <laughs> as wow. his representative works. Run DMC's Raising Hell, The Cult's Electric, Tom Petty's Wildflowers, and Johnny Cash's American Recordings, and that's Rick Rubin. I was, I started to put him on my list too, man. The same guy produced all those records. I hate yeah, you, Jim. He, he is phenomenal. I hate you, yeah. he I hate is you Jim. Phenomenal. He's my, I, one of my main ones, man. I, I left him off of my list for the exact reason you put him on. I was... I was looking for guys that definitively kind of changed the way we heard music and made records. And, and, and that's, and that's not him. Like you, well, you just listed four records that if you did not know it was him doing it, you wouldn't hear anything in there and go, Oh yeah, Rick Rubin. <laughs> but those are at least arguably each of those artists, best records. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, agree, agree, man. And, and, you know, there's been some talk about, well, Rick Rubin, you know, has a whole staff and he trains people to because he's produced so many records that he's not really there the whole time. And he's got engineers that he's trained and he's got people that go in and do some of the work. Because if you look at the list of records he's produced, it's not humanly possible for him to be have been present at all the sessions for all those records. But he has an ear. He works with artists he wants to work with and has an ear for what. The, that artist wants to express and helps them achieve it. Right. The and fact that, that he has a big staff doesn't take away from that. Man. And that is, that is just the ultimate for me, for a producer. He comes in and says, okay, what is this band trying to achieve? How can I help them get there without becoming Mutt Lang? Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. And, uh -huh. 
and and so and so that's that's why rick rubin is on my list uh my next one on my list was glenn johns um he was a and glenn johns from the engineering point of view because glenn johns started out as a great engineer right right and all those early stones records he engineered and then then he became a producer led zepp one who's next Right. And the Clash's Combat Rock, which was one of his favorite records to produce, actually. Um, so uh, he wrote a great autobiography called Sound Man. Uh, that is that is a that's a really good read. And his his philosophy on being a producer is about the same: is to work collaborative collaboratively with the band to try to uh, figure out what they want to do artistically and sonically, and help them realize that without you know becoming in the way. Uh, my next set of producers has more of a sonic signature, but not always. And I couldn't pick one of them. So I'm picking them as a team. And that's Brian, Eno, Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois uh, for their great productions uh, with YouTube. The Joshua Tree and Octung Baby are both wonderfully produced records that are very different. Uh, and they've also done thing, great things separately. Daniel Lanois did Time Out of Mind for Dylan. He did get, Peter Gabriel's So. He did Emmy Lou Harris's Wrecking Ball, which is a terrific record. That is a good record. Uh, Brian Eno, of course, did uh, The Talking Heads Remain in Light. The, to my money, the best Talking Heads record that's not a live record. And they, uh, that team, uh, they really... Uh, they do bring some of their own sonic signatures into some of this stuff. Obviously, Eno working with the Talking Heads on both uh, uh, Fear of Music and Remain in Light brought some of the the, the, uh, the African and polyrhythmic influences into that band that made them uh, really, really interesting, even though I love the first two records as well that are, that are very stripped down. Um, but, uh, you know, their, their sound was an you know, kind of helped define some of the the stuff we heard in the eighties with the big production. So I've got them on my list. And my last one on my list is someone who insists he is not a producer and that's Steve Balbini. Um, he, uh, you know, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Beach. He is, you know, and he is to me, you know, his goal is very much what I think a producer should be, which is helping a band realize its vision um but he refuses to call himself a producer he won't take a a percentage he won't take royalties he does everything for a flat fee and he says he will he will record he will uh credit himself as recorded by steve albini doesn't say produced he's he's sees himself as a technical guy but and he does everything on analog tape nirvana's in utero is his probably his best known work even though there were a lot of mixes done after he recorded and mixed the record. He has, Man, and that, that's a good record from a genre that I don't even particularly like. <laughs> and, and, and I know Scott Litt, who's a, who's produced some of REM's mid period records uh, came in and remixed some of the stuff on in utero and, and Albini has said at times, well, that record doesn't sound like it would have sounded like if I'd just been in charge of everything. Um, but to me, he's, he's, he's certainly a, an engineer and he's certainly a mixer and that makes him a producer in my eyes. So even if he doesn't take royalties, he's, he's, he's a producer. He also did the Pixie Surfer Rosa and the Breeders Pod, which are both really, really great records. And in the mid nineties, he opened his own studio in, in Chicago called Electrical Audio, which is 
I've seen pictures and heard stuff from it, and that's one of the studios I would love to record in someday. It just seems like a terrific place. <laughs> you might uh, want to check. You might want to check and see if he's going to be there on those days. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if he's going to be. There. Yeah, yeah, because I might want to be there when he's not. Because I have a feeling that 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 Mr. Albini and I would not get along. I'm not a big fan of the bands that he's. I'm not a big fan of uh, of Big Black or Rape Man or uh, Shellac, but. Um, I am a big fan of his philosophy. Uh, he's a straight up guy. He'll tell you what he thinks uh, repeatedly and with great force. Um, like that. I only like people that already agree with me. And, and so, uh, so, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's an interesting guy. I like to, I like to read interviews with him mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. he mellowed a lot in his, in his older age, but he still has some very core principles that uh, that you know agree with them or not i think are well thought out uh and uh, and so you know when a record has his name on it um you know you you, you listen you 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 pay attention to it i didn't mention george martin because to me george martin is in a class of his own yeah we could talk we could we could talk about george martin as a producer and how the the influence he had on the beatles but uh so i didn't even list him because he's he's a category of one to me so those are my five Provocative, thought-provoking, and infuriating because you stole one of mine. <laughs> Just one. That's not bad. <laughs> uh, hey, Buff, we can't hear you if you're talking. Thank you for telling sure. me that. Uh, and now we can. Now we I can. had it on mute. I, um, <laughs> Jim, you weren't here earlier when I told the guys that I was... Um, having an off day. So I'm just kind of like, um, I don't know what's wrong. I think I probably just need to go to bed until tomorrow morning. (laughs) Sometimes that's uh, what you need. Yeah. Sometimes it is, uh, my producers, uh, and I'm not going to say that none of them have been mentioned yet because one has, uh, I'm going to start with a Southern rock producer by the name of Paul Hornsby, who I just got through writing a book about, and uh, it is out now for all you book buying people. It's called Fix It in the Mix, the memoir of Paul Hornsby of Capricorn Records. Produced all the great Marshall Tucker band albums by the original Marshall Tucker and Charlie Daniels band and just all kinds of stuff, man. And he, um, the great thing is, I mean, I guess his biggest one was like Carolina Dreams, where they had heard it in a love song, a big hit, and and in Fire on the Mountain by Charlie Daniels, where he had a long-haired country boy, and um, so I was going to do it again. And the great thing about Paul is he's also a great uh, piano player. So all these songs, I remember when I first met him, I said something about Boy, Chuck Lavelle sure sounded good playing that lead break on uh, Hurry Than a Love Song on the piano. And he said, that wasn't Chuck, that was me. <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry. So anyway, it was, uh, yeah, he played all that stuff. And um, prior to prior to becoming the producer at Capricorn, he was in a band called Hourglass with Greg and Dwayne Allman. And they had a pretty good little career going there as a psychedelic 60s band out of los angeles 
pretty interesting. Uh, but anyway, Paul Hornsby's a great producer. And I wouldn't, I would say that even if he wasn't the guy that produced my latest album, uh, I've had two really great producers on my last two albums. I had, uh, Orsby and Jim Hemphill. So, uh, anyway, the, uh, that's my number five. Number four is one of my favorite artists and also a great producer by the name of Todd Rundgren. And, uh, I think one of the earliest bands he produced was the all girl band Fanny. He also produced albums by Sparks, Hall and Oates. I'm going to say that real fast. I say that real fast. Maybe nobody will notice. Hall and Oates, uh, Patty Smith. Um, and of course, he produced the uh, landmark album for Meatloaf Bat Out of Hell. And he also produced some stuff for Cheap Trick and the New York Dolls. How about that? So that's all good stuff that the Todd man did. And it's still one of my favorite voices in rock and roll. And, you know, Jim had touched on earlier, the uh, producers oftentimes end up being, you know, writers and singing or playing or, you know, just basically whatever's needed. They end up doing all that stuff. So, you know, Todd does all that. My number three is a young man named Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin is one of my favorite producers going all the way back to the first, um, not the first. Well, Alice Cooper did a couple of albums that tanked and then they did love it to death. And, uh, and Bob produced that. And then he did all of the Alice albums, billion dollar babies, et cetera, et cetera. And then when Alice went solo in 75, he produced uh, Welcome to My Nightmare. And of course, he also is very well known for producing Kiss and the another landmark album, Destroyer, with the song Beth. And uh, he also produced uh, another uh, singer, actor, singer, Tim Curry, that played in Rocky Horror, uh, Frankenfurter and Rocky Horror. He did three great albums and they were all produced by Bob Ezrin. Uh, he also produced Lou Reed's Berlin and Peter Gabriel and Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah, unique, uh, his very unique production style. As anybody can tell you that heard the, has heard the Destroyer album with all the sound effects and children and just whatever. I mean, he just put all kinds of stuff. Same thing with Pink Floyd. I mean, he's... Um, I don't know. Ezra is just one of a kind as far as uh, I say, I call him a theatrical producer. Uh, you know, that's kind of what it is. My number two has already been mentioned, and that's Rick Rubin. But Rick Rubin, from Public Enemy to Beastie Boys to Run DMC to the Black Crows to Red Hot Chili Peppers to Joan Jett, Tom Petty, DC and the Cherry on Top. The American, the American recordings of Johnny Cash. Oh my gosh. Um, and one of my favorites is the box set that they put out. There's four CDs called Unearthed. And uh, what we're going to do at the end of the show today is we're going to play Cash's cover of Tom Petty's Southern Accents uh, from that album. It's so good. And the thing that gets me about Johnny, I mean, he was, 
I'd read interviews and stuff, and the man was in constant pain. And he'd been in pain ever since he got his jaw broken, but he was in pain, real bad pain, uh, physical and also emotional and everything. But yet somehow or another, he persevered in those last few years with Rick Rubin. He, he just recorded a buttload of, and mostly, you know, a lot of covers of just songs that he liked, but yeah, Rick Rubin. Yeah, he's the man. My number one has to be my hero. I was so very fortunate to get to know him before he died. And as Tom Dowd, the uh, guy popularized the eight track recording system uh, for commercial music and popularized the use of stereophonic sound. He also pioneered the use of uh, linear channel fa channel faders as opposed to rotary dials on audio mixers to my two consistently my two favorite albums of all time are both produced by tom dowd almond brothers at fillmore east and Derek and the dominoes layla and other sorry love songs did both of those he also produced you know leonard skinner one more from the road uh, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not the hugest scared fan in the world. I like them, but not, you know, but, but, uh, you know, it was Southern rock was just not Tom Dowd's only wheelhouse. No, 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 no. He also produced Aretha Franklin, Rod Stewart, Solomon Burke, Jerry Jeff Walker. Dan Penn and Spooner Oldham, Cream, Wilson Pickett, Eric Clapton, John Coltrane, Dwayne Allman, Chicago, Dr. John King Curtis, Otis Redding, Little Richard, Ray Charles. Oh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Anybody that wants to learn more about Tom Dowd, I have to say, go on Amazon and order the DVD called Tom Dowd and the Language of Music. What a genius. And, and then when you find out that he was had a whole nother career before music as a member of the Manhattan Project, golly, what a life. And I don't know what good it will do to even say it at this point, but I'm going to say my honorable mentions that I had were Eno, Brian Eno, and uh, Chet Atkins. <laughs> Not to be confused. Don't get those two mixed up, whatever you do. <laughs> But Brian Eno, what a great producer with um, Bowie and Talking Heads and et cetera, on and on and on and all. Just just a genius of a guy. Um, and that concludes my list. And don't you think it should? And like it. Move over. Thank you. Oh, Very thank good. you. Very good. We're going to move on, move on over to the uh, beach band now. I started out thinking about just great sounding records, like, you know, so many records that Jeff Lynn made that just sound perfect. Uh, the first Boston album is just delightful to listen to. And, and I wanted to pick something off London Calling, which is kind of the, the Sergeant Peppers of punk rock. And, and then I, I just had to force myself to narrow my thinking. And I did that by picking tracks <clears throat> tracks that 
I can't imagine sounding any other way because of did, the production let me, on them. Uh, let, me cut, let me just ask you this. Did you say, did I hear you right? Did you say Boston? Yeah, absolutely. The band that, Boston. That first Boston album sounds absolutely fantastic. Okay, I can never talk to you again. <laughs> all right all right just one i just wanted to okay thanks one of the best albums ever made in a basement on an eight track uh yeah it sounds to just cue up more than a feeling when we get done you'll just be blown away by the production on that so thanks to mr hemphill my uh number one suddenly drops to number five let's talk about nirvana Bleach sounds like Nirvana. Nevermind sounds like a beer commercial. And thanks to Steve Albini, In Utero sounds like Nirvana again, as they sounded live, because I was lucky enough to see them one time live uh, back when Cobain was a mess and, and Pat Smear was the uh, second guitarist because... Cobain couldn't be bothered to remember his parts. But I think the uh, the defining track on In Utero is Heart-Shaped Box. It's got the Nirvana template of uh, quiet, loud, quiet. <clears throat> and compared to everything on Nevermind, it's oral sandpaper. It sounds like really coarse sandpaper on your eardrums. So it's just a magnificent achievement and as you alluded jim uh, there were some radio remixes for that track and yeah, i think scott scott lit scott lit did those yeah but uh but man the album versions of those tracks are just absolutely outstanding and and they're they're winners to me <clears throat> uh this next one goes in the completely opposite direction because this band was completely not produced until they made an album around 1997 or 1998. I'm talking about a little outfit from Dayton, Ohio called guided by voices who uh, got a little bit of money from TVT records and hired somebody called Rick Ocasek to produce their album. And uh, I remember hearing teenage FBI at Waterloo Park in Austin mm -hmm. before they'd even recorded it. And it was such a hooky, insanely catchy song. I remembered it when that record came out. And unlike everything else that Guided by Voices had done before, it, 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 it sounded produced. It had like that weird, almost a moogie synth thing at the beginning and some weird vocal effects. And it was like, this is an actual produced record. And of course, because Guided by Voices had a fanatical fan base who just loved the four-track DIY. You know, these records sound like garbage, and that's kind of why we love Guided by Voices thing going on. Uh, people were really divided uh, by that record and the one that followed it up, Isolation Drills. But when I heard that record lead off that album i was like this is going to be a fantastic album and it's still probably the gutted by voices record that i listen to more than any other mm. um now moving on to uh punk rock's number one control freak bob mold <laughs> when he put together sugar the lead off track to their first album copper blue 
is the act we act and everything is all there. Everything that sure was is in a single song. It is heavy. It's sludgy. It's crisp. It's melodic. And I think I have that record in four different iterations. I have the original CD. I have the remastered CD. I have it on vinyl and I have it on 180 gram vinyl. And it just sounds absolutely fantastic. And Mold, of course, along with Grant Hart, had been producing since the last three, I think, Who's Do albums. And he also had produced other, other bands while he was in Who's Do, while Who's Do wasn't a going concern. But he knows the sound he's going for. And he's very, very good at getting it. He's going to get it heavy and melodic and bright and he's going to kind of bury his vocals so you struggle to understand what he's saying but man i love that sound to this day and that's why i've been a fan for <laughs> how long 30 some years at least speaking of george martin you know what i'm gonna say it's so so obvious the album that he flew to madison wisconsin in the dead of winter to make with a little outfit from Rockford, Illinois called Cheap Trick. And it begins with the long, lingering, orgasmic chord that ends a day in the life. Stop this game from All Shook Up. It's a terrific sounding song. It's not the best song Cheap Trick ever wrote. Um, in fact, I'm not sure I've ever seen them play it live. Have you, Jim? When I saw them on that tour, I think they opened with that. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. But, and you, you alluded to Todd Grundgren, Todd Grundgren too. And of course, All Shook Up came out after they had stopped working with Tom Warman. And then by the time they got to Rundgren, Rundgren and Next Position, Please, the joke was, you know, it was that record should have been called Next Producer, Please, because yeah, they just right cycled after- through them right after the Roy Thomas Baker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's a marvelous, marvelous sounding record. And of course uh, they all most, especially Nielsen were huge Beatles fans. Nielsen and Bunn played on double fantasy, of course, but it's got, it's got the strings. It's got the, 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 the syncopation and, uh, and the chord at the beginning, the chord at the beginning, the one that goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So uh, my final one, <clears throat> my very last one, it, I guess it's kind of a guilty pleasure that I don't feel that guilty about. It's such an exceptionally well-produced song and now a relic of a time that we'll never see again. Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Produced by Mike Klink. Eight or nine of the tracks that wound up on Appetite for Destruction were demoed by someone else whose name's name escapes me at the moment. But every time I don't I don't go put on Appetite for Destruction that very often. But man, if I hear a sweet child of mine come on the radio, I'm going to turn it up. That song has layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. The lick that Slash came up with, oh, and by the way, Slash was the second guitarist in Guns N' Roses. 
the lick was just to practice a warm-up exercise that he had and they built a song around it and there's there's acoustic guitar that you don't really hear that much it's just a little bit of angel hair uh you have to listen carefully for that and you know it has soft moments and loud moments and explosive moments and just incredible production and you can hate me for saying this but i still love the sound of the drums on that record they got the drums for that record in six days everything else took a lot lot longer but um another reason that that appetite for destruction is a relic is it was the last blockbuster album recorded in that way on tape and and cut with a a razor blade you know clink was splicing together takes to make that record meticulously and man that is the standout track on appetite appetite for destruction and i can't imagine anybody else producing that so those are my five i'm all in nice nicely done nicely thanks. done. thanks the one thing i would add is if I could talk more intelligently and had more knowledge about hip hop, someone like Dr. Dre would probably be on my list as Absolutely. well because hip hop is kind of a producer genre, but Absolutely. Uh, so I'm just pleading ignorance on, on, on not having any, any of that genre in there. But uh, right. so anyway, thought I'd first, throw that in there. First thing you do, you slow it down to way less than 120 BPM. <laughs> yeah. And when you get a mix, you see how it sounds on car speakers. Yeah, that's right. That's the truth. Yeah. You try, uh, try different types of speakers. Um, that's one thing I learned with, uh, Paul Hornsby was he would take a, uh, would take it out and play it in his car, but he also had a, like a little set of cheapo speakers. See how it sounded through those. Yep. It was just different ways, different ways. Cause everybody hadn't got the, uh, giant studio speakers that he has you know so it's it's gonna sound different but anyway yeah good list um so uh so uh your assignment for next week if you decide to accept it is the one that i was gonna do this week and then billy came up with the producers and uh which was pretty fun i might add um uh, this one next week is called Tickling the Ivories. Well, and it's not necessarily just ivories. Great keyboard players, piano, organ, synthesizer, whatever. Just uh, tell us who your favorites are and why. Just that easy. Show the keyboard player some love, you know. Sound good? Sounds okay. Good. Okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. All right, Will. All right, guys. Thanks for doing it again. As always, we've uh, we've uh, managed to uh, log quite a few shows here together, and uh, the uh, I'm gonna go out with a. You can tell I'm off. I can't. I can't put a sentence together. But the, uh, but anyway, we're gonna go out with a Rick Rubin produced Johnny Cash cover of a tom petty song with all three of those names in a sentence how can you go wrong there you go so it's uh there's a southern accent where i come from and i'll see you guys uh, in, uh next time and thanks again all right be good be rock good on. rock on. see y'all yeah
There's a southern accent Where I come from The young'uns call it country The Yankees call it dumb I got my own way of talking But everything is done With a southern accent Where I Now that drunk tank in Atlanta Was just a motel room to me I think I might go work Orlando If them orange groves don't freeze I've got my own But everything is run with a southern accent where I come from. For just a minute there. Just a minute, it was all so real For just a minute she was standing there with me There's a dream that I keep having Where my mama comes to me And she kneels down over by the window And says a prayer for me I've got my own way of praying And With a southern accent Where I come from Have our own way of living 
And everything is done With a southern accent Where I come from Man, yeah, I love that. That is the late, great Johnny Cash doing his cover of the late, great Tom Petty's Southern Accents. Um, that was, of course, produced by one of my producers that I talked about today, Rick Rope, Rick Rubin. <laughs> See if I can say it correctly. Rick Rubin, what a great producer. And he did all those Johnny Cash America, uh, Americana, uh, American uh, albums. And then this one here, I pulled from a four CD box set called Unearthed. It's amazing how much great stuff Johnny did uh, toward the end of his life through the pain. And he was in constant pain, but he was, uh, he was putting down tracks, you know, the tons and tons of covers of songs that he really, that meant a lot to him, including on earth. There's one that's called uh, mama's hymnal or something to that effect. And it's just songs that, um, he remembered from his childhood in the church. And there's just so many great covers on there, man. I mean, it's wonderful. He even does a, a Bob Marley, a redemption song. It's just a great album. I can't say enough good about it. It's fantastic. But that is going to wrap up the program today. I want to say thank you to our, um, to my, uh, partners on the program, uh, Billy Eli, Jim Hemphill and Patrick beach. Thank you to all of you who listen in to the program. And a huge thank you to our sponsors. Um, we really appreciate them standing beside us uh, through all of this. And uh, the sponsors would be Springer Mountain Farms. Springer Mountain Farms chicken. If you want chicken, you want to get, you want it to be good, but you also want it to be healthy. Uh, Springer Mountain Farms chicken is raised on family farms, not corporate, with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more informa information. I don't know why I can't talk today. Get more information or order online at springermountain.com, springermtn.com, Springer Mountain Farms chicken. Yeah, baby. That's what I'm saying. Program's also brought to you, as always, by a rocking band called the Box Masters. I just love these guys. They, Bud, Bud Thornton and J.D. Andrew are two prolific songwriters and great 
musicians uh the light rays album the new one they recorded this during the lockdown uh and played all the instruments they wrote all the songs played all the instruments <laughs> and uh produced it and everything wow i mean that's am amazing the only time i've ever heard of anything like that was back in the 70s when john fogarty did the blue ridge rangers where he was uh where it was not a band it was just him playing everything it was so cool the box masters are just major talented and uh light rays is a great album I highly recommend you get it on cd or vinyl or downloads or all three of the above you can find that and much more uh, at the theboxmasters.com in the online store check it out theboxmasters.com and tell them we sent you tell them kudzu sent you okay and uh thanks for doing that okay guys well that's it we will see you next week right back here for another episode of the kudzu radio hour thanks for listening take care and we'll see you down the road how about it